Hello and welcome to Social Enterprise 101. This is an educational podcast series produced by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship in conjunction with Prime Media Broadcasting. Very exciting. My name is Swongile Mafu and for the duration of the series, we're going to be doing some really cool things and I'll be joined by someone very special, Bame Modungwa, who works in the space of innovative finance at Bertha Center. Hi, hi Bame. We're going to be, you know, talking through quite a few things in in the series, but what is it essentially about this series, would you say? So as the name says, you know, Social Enterprise 101, the series is an introduction to social entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. The goal of the series is to introduce new people to the concept of social entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. but it's also for people that are interested in entering the space, a nonprofit organization looking to, to introduce the model to their organization. And for people already in the social entrepreneurship space, just to expand their knowledge and find out how to connect with our work more. And I mean, that's really exciting. People are interested in this, but perhaps they're not sure how to go about it. And what is the PTS program about? PTS stands for Pathways to Sustainability. This is one of our flagship programs at the Bertha Center. Mm-hmm. It was designed under the recognition that for nonprofit organizations, a lot of them are heavily dependent on donor funding. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is it becomes very competitive. It can be very difficult to access this funding. Meanwhile, they're doing such good work. They have multiple beneficiaries that they need to take care of. And without the funding, they're going to struggle. So the idea was to introduce these nonprofits to the social enterprise model, which essentially will help them generate their own income Mm -hmm. so that they can couple that with the donor funding and be able to subsidize where the donor funding wouldn't necessarily cover the operations and all that they need to do as their nonprofit organization. So it's about empowering them with information and the tools that they need to move forward. Exactly. And what are we going to be exploring in this series? If you could break it down for us, please. We're going to be exploring social entrepreneurship as a whole. Mm-hmm. So we're breaking it down. We're saying, what is it to start? And we set the scene and we talk to a couple of um, social entrepreneurs themselves. Um, and then we go into some of the themes that are covered in the Pathways to Sustainability program. Mm-hmm. So it runs as a workshop program with lessons, essentially. Okay. So the series will go through some of those lessons with the listener to say, uh, how do you generate income? What are some of the ideas that you could think about? Mm-hmm. And then how do you take it forward? How do you scale, etc.? Kind mm-hmm. of like a tutorial of sorts. Exactly. We've established why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Let's start with what is social enterprise for those who don't know? I don't want to give it away too much because mm-hmm. I think Francois Bonici from the Bertha Center gives a wonderful description. Mm-hmm. But social enterprises are nonprofit distributing normally. Um, these are organizations that take business-like principles to do social good. Right. So it's an organization that maybe on first glance you wouldn't necessarily think of as a profit-oriented organization. Mm-hmm. It's Groups that go out to help people, but they realize that to do this, they need to make some kind of money. And the main thing is that the money that they make is not then distributed amongst shareholders. That's really the distinction. Mm. The money that they make is then reinvested into the organization in order to continue doing good. Right, and keep it going. And keep it going. And how does uh, the Bertha Center's work relate to social entrepreneurship? 
So the Bertha Centre is an academic institution based mm-hmm. at UCT's graduate school. We've developed courses around social entrepreneurship and we're focused on building a stronger ecosystem for social entrepreneurs in South Africa. We've done this through a number of different programs. We're running a course on how to become a social entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. We've also launched a MOOC. That's an online course that you can access for free around social innovation and how to become a change maker. Anyone can access that. Anyone can access That's that. Fantastic. Um, if you just go to the UCT GSB website, it's mm-hmm. free and it's available. As mentioned, we have the Pathways to Sustainability program, which is targeted towards nonprofits looking to transition to social entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And then sort of the big one is, a, is this um, event that we call the Pathways to Funding Dufference. And what that is, is a two-day masterclass for social entrepreneurs to come together with investors, with seasoned entrepreneurs, and learn about how to raise funding. Wow. So that's targeted at social entrepreneurs um, and is really our key event around social entrepreneurship. So the Bertha Center's director, Francois Bonici, invited some guests to talk about building social enterprises in SA. What does he cover? Francois will be giving a brief overview on what social entrepreneurship is, what the space currently looks like in South Africa. But more so, he'll be having a conversation with two seasoned social entrepreneurs. He'll be talking to Livuyo Rani from Silulo Uluto Technologies. Livuyo started Silulo as an internet cafe, mm-hmm. and it's now grown into multiple internet cafes across the Western Cape, and it's, it's gone beyond that. So they offer training around coding and just working a computer, which mm-hmm. a lot of people need out there. Mm-hmm. He'll also be speaking to David Jeffrey from Libramat. David has started uh, Libramat in recognition that there aren't enough reading programs for children or enough libraries for children in township areas. And in order to encourage this further, he established a library in a laundromat. But Libramat has become so much more than that, and David will expand on that. Now let's join Francois Bonici, director at Bertha Centre, in conversation with David Jeffrey, director at Libramat, as well as Luvu Yorani, director at Silulo Uluto Technologies. If you're out there running an NGO, working with communities, or running businesses that wants to have an impact in your own community, you may have heard of the term social entrepreneurship or social enterprise. It's a confusing term, but it's a term that's also been emerging and and got a lot of interest lately in many parts of the world. These two organizations uh, with me today are great examples for what we're going to be talking about. So what is social entrepreneurship and what is a social enterprise? A simple way of thinking about it, social entrepreneurship uh, is a set of approaches and practices to tackle social problems through some kind of entrepreneurial approach. This could take place in an NGO, it could take place in a large company, it could even take place in government. Uh, the word social enterprise is starting to be more well defined as a business that is has a clear social mission. So it acts like a company, but it clearly has a social mission. And both Silulu and Libramat are great examples of this. So why is this happening? Why is this world converging between the non-profit and the for-profit company? What, what, what's happening in the world? If you look at what we've had for the last 100 years, we've had these two models of company structures that we've created, a non-profit and a for-profit. And for some reason, we think these are the only ways in which organizations can be run. But essentially, we as citizens and human beings and societies created these organizational structures. So why can't we start to think about new ways of doing that serve our society better uh, and deal with some of the inherent 
challenges that come with each of those organizational structures. The Bertha Center uh, at UCT Graduate School of Business was established uh, about five years ago to start uh, raising recognition, studying, and advancing this field of social innovation and social entrepreneurship. It's the first academic center dedicated uh, to this topic in Africa. Uh, and really our, our interest has been to not only build the research and the practice, but actually to support organizations like Silulu and Libramat by understanding and helping to build the ecosystem around legal structures, around investors and donors and funders, around understanding different business models, how to develop and grow these businesses, um, and look at what is the role of universities in, in our society, and particularly what is the role of a business school in, in looking at organizations. So we've been working in many different ways, uh, running courses, um, running uh, conferences, workshops to support uh, sustainability and the development of business models for uh, NGOs and social enterprises, running accelerators and social franchising, uh, and working with a community of investors who are interested in both uh, investing in organizations but also creating social and environmental impact. Gentlemen, welcome and thank you so much both for coming. Um, today we're going to talk about building a social enterprise. Sululu now uh, is 12 years old, yes. an amazing example uh, of uh, a social enterprise uh, in South Africa, mm. emerging out of Kailicha, uh, you and your brother, uh, Lunwabo, uh, have been uh, amazing social entrepreneurs and recently recognized by the World Economic Forum and the Schwab Foundation as one of the kind of emerging and leading social entrepreneurs in the world. Tell us about the Silulu journey, how you started and what Silulu does today. No, thanks so much. I mean, it's, it's really an, an, an honor and a privilege for me to come and uh, share the journey. It's been 12 years. Started in a boot of a car in Kailicha selling second-hand computers. So I used to be a teacher, and I see my colleagues that they were struggling using computers, and the government was introducing a new curriculum, which means that teachers need to use computers as a tool in their classroom. So I saw that as a need. And I resigned and I sell these computers. It was tough in the beginning. People were saying to me, I'm not okay. And then funding was a problem. But I saw an opportunity to group teachers in a, uh, in a saving, a stock fell. And so I can buy computers. They bought the computers. After they bought, I realized that they need to be skilled enough. And then hence, opening internet cafe so that they could come in. But I could realize that it's not only a problem around teachers. It's a problem around communities at home. That uh, people looking for employment, Looking, people are starting their own businesses. People are, I mean, I, I needing computers. I mean, and right. the internet. Hence, the internet cafe and the training, and also from there, so you started to grow to bring this one IT center in the township in the rural areas. Fantastic, and 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 that's grown from providing hardware, but as well as the software and training. More importantly, to how many stores? No, we've grown to an extent now. I mean, in the Western Cape, we have 18 stores. In the Eastern oh. Cape, 22. It's about 40 stores that have grown in two provinces. And, and this is, I'm imagining that it could be in every province in South Africa. So, so the, the growth for Budapest to one store, it's kind of even myself amazed me how it has grown. An amazing entrepreneurial journey and, and one which is clearly uh, providing a really important uh, service uh, in an area where access to, to, to digital technologies and, and training mm. is, is not always available. Mm. In some ways, this could just be a business. Why, why is uh, Sululu a social enterprise and what does that term mean to you? No, I mean, it, it means, I mean, very aspect. I mean, a person in Kaidicha 10 years back, they used to come to Cape Town or Mitchell's Plain just to access to internet from convenience. 
and location is key for we bring service closer to us. Two, the student that comes out of a program that we train them, they could find employment, they could study further. Some of them, they can run better their businesses with the training. I mean, some of the staff members, even some guys, they can even take a concept and run it through the franchise. So we kind of able to uh, do it through access, do it through skills, and also do it through entrepreneurial, which is much more needed in the area where we are. And we realize that we can do it through giving opportunities in a big way so that impact can be seen that, I mean, beyond training, finding employment, beyond able to have used money for you to get a CV and send a CV and find employment. And what, what were the motivations for you in, in, in terms of starting this and how does it kind of, how does this motivation of having this impact that you want to do pr- provide these opportunities and services to people who don't have access? Mm. How does it influence your decision making? Because you've got these successful IT <laughs> digital training centers. Why don't you set one up in Constantia? Well, I think for me, I mean, you don't, don't, don't I mean, realize when I go to Woolworths in Waterfront and see uh, Taylor uh, say that I was a student, now I'm working here, or a premier's departments, or working in the cost centers, that for me say that we are making life. And that, I think that's what motivates to make mm-hmm. a change on ordinary people. And I think that's why even us, even today, we're still in Kailicha and stay in the kind of a township because we could realize that there's so much um, opportunities and there's so much connection and there's so much impact for people because I mean like what you need more than anything in terms of as much as we run these businesses you need good role models mm. you need I mean people look up to uh, young people and realize that through social entrepreneur you could make a change you can uh, make money and you can grow and you can make a difference and this is what motivates and, and, and inspires us to continue to do what we do and, and I think you've, you've been that role model um, part of You've also been very successful, you know, social entrepreneurs, but part of building a company and a business uh, from scratch is, is hard work, yes. right? Yes. Um, and building a social enterprise in particular sometimes can be harder because people and organizations don't always understand fully where you fit. Yes. Um, funding is also difficult because there is often you're in markets where mm. it's not entirely clear what mm. the market is and what the business is. Yes. And sometimes there is a perception, this may or may not be real, mm. is that there is a trade-off, there is a tension between mm. uh, seeking sustainability and profits as a yes. company because obviously if, if, you, if you fail as a company, mm. then you're having zero impact. Mm. So you need to, to, to chase sustainability. Yes. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, chasing uh, and maximizing your impact. Mm. Is that a, a trade-off? Uh, mm. Is it a tension? Um, and how do you balance them? How do you see them, how they're related to each other? No, it's, and how do you make decisions around them? It is very quite interesting, I mean, space where you are. Because, I mean, it's a space that affects you cash flow-wise. It's a space that affects you cost-wise. It's a space that affects you, your kind of funding, your growth. Because you are dealing with people who depend on the grant, who depend on their parents, who is like probably part of, like Kailicha, like 50% unemployed. So we are kind of providing a service that, I mean, if you put it in Cape Town, you pay three times what you are paying in. Mm. And that on its own, it allows you from a cost-wise, when you charge it from, from, mm. from you cannot be quite expensive. Mm. You cannot be cheap. You have to find a balance where it becomes affordable. You have to work on numbers yep. where it becomes like, I mean, where you fit in. And sometimes it, it comes in because 
I mean, you cannot depend on the funding because it has to sustain on its own. So the the, the interesting part is make sure that part of that business modeling and mm. costing it's right enough for it sustain and it becomes a bigger and becomes scalable around that. And for us, we've seen that it has to work on numbers. It's a volume thing. So you have to make sure that you, you maximize. Like in the class of 20 students, instead of having one class or two classes a day, we have six classes. Right. To maximize the time so that you can have a student. But the price has to be much more affordable for that they can able to come in. And and, that. and, and that's, that's, that's kind of a, a, a space where now we're saying that one to hundred. So how can you go hundred with the kind of a model where it is now? So the conflict in terms of looking for funding, being able to, from an investor point of view, from a donor point of view. So these are kind of things that kind of, when you deal with this thing, it's, it's, there's a conflict. Mm. But it needs, I mean, to see a bigger picture. That it's not only about money here, it's all about making difference in the community and make sure that you, you grow with these communities and also they allows you to grow as a business so that you can sustain yourself. So it's always been part of the very interesting line, but it's quite a f- fulfilling and, and, and you could see um, with the results, I mean, and the results not only about financial, results only about impact, results only about uh, numbers that you're doing. Fantastic, Lua. You've spoken a bit about your, your funding model, and it looks like you've got a mixed funding model of both you know, yes. earning revenue uh, through fees mm. and services, but also through, through donor funding. Yes. Kind of how have you done that as a company, and what are the challenges you've had either in terms of finding the, the, the capital for growth, but also other challenges mm. that you've just faced in this 12-year journey? Well, we've, we've, we've seen that from the BE point of view, uh, which is like from entire development CSI. So we've pushed ourselves as early 2008-2009 to work with the telco companies. Uh, some of them were part of their ED program. Some of them were part of the CSI program. Even uh, foundations. I mean, we've also been part of from the funding point mm. of view where we get a kind of a favorable interest mm. um, on that. I mean, we've made some uh, very interesting um, investing, I mean, interesting lesson where we partner with a big telco and uh, they try to change us on a social aspect so that we can focus on becomes like a tele- telecom mm. and, 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 and that becomes conflicting. Mm. And that becomes where you're mm. able to face and say that, why are you doing this thing? Mm. What we want to achieve? Mm. And some of the, the partnership, we able to say that, no, it's not working. And we can't. Mm. And and we could choose becomes we could becomes like that part of the company and becomes millionaires. But we could be choose and we have chosen to remain mm. in what we do because we could see uh, the bigger picture. And actual fact, being young, seeing the future, there's more to come instead of mm. getting quick gains. Mm. Yeah. Well, we, I think you've expressed something critical to the kind of social enterprise movement, and it's about values mm. uh, and about uh, decision making uh, in terms of partnerships and in terms of what, what you're trying to achieve. And that's a you know fantastic mm. example of it. What has this journey taught you that, that no textbook or course at UCT could yeah. teach you? And what are your kind of key recommendations for potential or aspiring social entrepreneurs? No, I think what, what this journey taught me, the importance of entrepreneurial. Because part of all of these things is all about opportunities. And that enables to have those opportunities that have a way to make sure that we keep on remain in what we do. So it taught in terms of like, um, how to leverage mm. on the limited resources, how to build a brand to extend that becomes interesting, how being recognized by Schwab Foundation, able to expose you. And I was also taught about the space what, where, where we're in as a country, as, 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 a, as a world, that mm. I mean, 
we really need more social businesses. And I think mm. we kind of that journey was kind of interesting times for us. For that. And, and that for me, it's, it's something that even continuously and I could see it's like in the beginning of other things to come. Mm. Well, I think we definitely need more social businesses in South Africa. We are you know, at a time where we clearly have a, a, a macroeconomic framework and a global framework, which yes. is in a capitalist world, and yet we have significant social challenges. Uh, and so being able to operate in that kind of environment and make advancement on those social challenges is exactly what the purpose of social enterprises is set up for. And I think something you mentioned earlier in South Africa, we also have an opportunity between um, uh, you know, mandated corporate social investment and enterprise development as a really interesting opportunity for social enterprise in South Africa. We are thanks so much, and, and you know, from this kind of 12-year journey of a, of, of a well-established uh, social enterprise, yeah. which kind of emerged out of an opportunity yes. and seeing a need as an opportunity. We have uh, a Libramat yes. uh, and David, I think, a little bit more intentional about saying, well, you know, now we know what social enterprises are. Let's design uh, a company to work intentionally uh, in this model. So tell us a bit about Libramat. It's uh, uh, relatively recent. It has a set of partners that are very well established. Tell us the journey. The journey started, I think, in 2014. There was a really groundbreaking study uh, on a parenting program that equipped parents to share picture books with their very young children. Groundbreaking for a, a number of reasons, but at its core, it was the first study in a low-income setting that worked with parents who couldn't read and write themselves and equipped them with skills that made them really able to be the best educator of their children. Phenomenal outcomes for infant language, sustained attention, and so on. And it was a sort of first high-quality study of its nature. But then that posed a number of questions, which we were really interested in, is how, how to implement this. There's so much research that gains dust on university shelves and how to move Indeed. that into practice. And the sort of second question in there, I mean, which was of particular interest for me coming from adult education, is how can we innovate in adult education? Our ideas about adult education have stayed much the same for the last few decades. And what can we contribute there? And so we do a number of things with this. Our, our core aim is to find in innovative ways of delivering the supportive book sharing program. And how we do that is we provide the training to large organizations under license. And that's with our partner, the Makulu Trust, who is the sort of forms the core of that research team. Uh, and then we experiment with more exciting ways of delivering the program, more innovative ways, more risky ways, you could say. Our most exciting or most well-known program as part of that is the Libramat Center, where we've combined affordable laundry services with the child's library, children's library, and access to our workshops. And the idea there being that the burden of laundry and childcare fall to the same person. And so can we find a way of taking the time and energy that's spent on laundry, spent on hand-washing clothes, and transferring that to reading with the child? And that's been really interesting. We've got a, our site running in town too in Kailiche now. Um, another program that we're looking at is the Siakana program, which looks at equipping parents who are battling to pay their fees for the ECD center for that month with the skills they need to volunteer at the center. Uh, so that their child can still attend for that. And that's an agreement between ECD centers, the parents, and us. And that's also just starting and very interesting. Tell us, for you, what does this word social enterprise mean to you? Does it mean to you anything? Was it influential in, in how you got started, in the way you think about 
how you you operate so there's there's sort of two main ideas floating around the social enterprise space that I think are very applicable to to what we're we're looking at the one is of financial sustainability and that's to do with we have to train our facilitators in implementing this program they need to be very skilled we need to make sure that they still have a job in five years time we have a responsibility I think to them but also to the longevity of the program and so that makes for very conservative decisions in many ways we have to play that very safe and so we have to make sure that our staff uh, can invest in us and can stick around uh, the other side of that, though, is we care about innovation. That's sort of why why we were started. But I think there's often uh, a sort of tension to be navigated between those two. Innovation is risky and it's expensive. And something that the social enterprise space opens up for us, which I think is really interesting, is a tolerance for the expense of innovation. Of trying new things. Exactly. I mean, yep. uh, what the startup space does very well is recognize that you're going to fail a lot. You, it's going to take a long time to work out what you're doing. And that's mm. that's a different standard to what is often applied to NPOs mm. who are expected to get it right from square one mm. with a constitution and a mandate and so on. Uh, and sometimes, you know, very clear agendas mm. and, and requirements from their donors. Financially, in order to innovate, you know, you need, you need some risk capital. You need yeah. some uh, capital which is discretionary. Yeah. Where does that come from for you? And what, what is your funding model? Our organization is split between, in part, uh, grants for the innovative aspect of it, but recognizing the issues of long-term sustainability of that and the sort of inherent anxiety that that causes, that's when we started looking at other revenue-generating models, such as providing the training to large organizations. And that's in partnership with the Makulu Trust, where we're providing the training to facilitators. And so that's sort of how we how we balance it between mm. we earn our, our our daily bread doing something that's very good but very reliable and very safe and something that I wanted to be doing much more of, and then we use that to really start tinkering with new ideas. And tell us a bit about the the Libramat Centre. So, I mean, how does it work? Do people pay for mm. uh, using the laundry services? Yeah. And tell us why that's kind of what's the innovation in that, and why do, why is it? more likely to be fun financial sustainable? So it's a combination of a children's library and a laundromat, a very affordable laundromat running from a ECD centre in town too. And parents pay for the washing and the drying services and then can use the children's library and sign up for workshops for free. The The idea is, one, that we're reaching the same people, often mothers, right. overburdened with laundry and also tasked with childcare. But it's also a way of forming relationships. Laundry is part of everyone's weekly routine. And this is a sense that you can build education around. It's still very early days with the Libramat Center. We're still seeing how that plays out. The laundry aspect is going very well, and that's what people didn't expect. Mm. But the burden of laundry is immense, and we're saving people hours and hours of time and hours of energy. Mm. The children's library is going well, too. And what remains to be seen is how well do they work together. People, and possibly rightly so, have suspicions of companies working with a social impact, mm. right? I think that's that's the reality. There is a concern of for-profit entities. Is there a risk uh, of exploitation? Is this masquerading as mm. things? How do you navigate this? And given your partnership, what is the benefit to your partners mm. that might allay these fears and risks mm. and make it more understandable what you do? It's a very good question. I think people are right to be suspicious a lot of the time. 
I think what it means for us is thinking very carefully about what value we're creating, who's benefiting from it, and how we can uh, make the most of that. In terms of allaying the fears of not just our partners, but the sort of organizations we're working with who are NPOs, in terms of allaying the fears of less our partners, but more the organizations we're working with, our partners are entirely on board with this. But with the NGOs that we're approaching to deliver this training, the bottom line comes down to staff development. And this is not a, a, a for-profit company in the sense of we're paying dividends to shadowy businessmen in, right. the, in the distance, but rather it's going directly into the company, making sure we can pay salaries, making sure we can train our staff and so on. So you brought up an important point, is what happens to to profits of of social enterprise around the world. This is being debated. But the point you've raised, which is, I think, the clearest way in terms of organizations uh, reducing their concerns around what social enterprise is about, is that the profits are reinvested in in the organizations uh, themselves in order to grow both their scale and, and their impact. This is the beginning of a journey for you, mm. for Libramat. I mean, you've looked at other examples. You've got mm. to forge your own path like every mm. uh, social entrepreneur. What are your kind of key takeaways, key lessons in, in, in starting this journey and getting started? I think there's a lot of pressure in the space to focus on innovation, groundbreaking ideas, sort of changing the way things are done. And I worry that that often comes at the expense of reliability. I mean, if you want to do what so few people are really doing in the space, try pitching up on time, doing a good job and keeping your word. Mm. And I think that's a sort of key lesson I would have to anyone starting out, that don't worry about fancy ideas if you can't sort of keep things running as you say they're going to be running. Don't be hoodwinked by innovation. Great. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both very much. I think we don't celebrate the magic of South Africa enough in this country. We often focus on our problems. Mm. Uh, what you're both doing is seeing problems as amazing opportunities to, to build in, incredible organizations that are having real impact uh, and that look to be uh, exceptionally sustainable. Both of you have been recognized internationally. We spoke about uh, the World Economic Forum Award, but also Libramat has already been recognized by the Harvard Family Research Unit as a, a very innovative model around family engagement. You know, I think the, the purpose of, of these recognitions is for us to recognize that what we have in South Africa is something very special and is really a hotspot in the world for social enterprise to develop. So thank you both for your time today and for helping us share the word and, and, and build role, role models in social enterprise. Thanks to Francois Bonici, Director at Bertha Center, to David Jeffrey, Director at Libromat, as well as Luvuyorani, Director at Silulo Uluto Technologies. So, Bame, what are the top takeaways from that? I think the top takeaways from this conversations are, one, that social entrepreneurship is a movement. It's slowly picking up in SA, but we can expect it to reach greater heights. This is a great way to connect business and doing good. There are multiple great social entrepreneurs doing good work, as we've seen with Silulo, with mm-hmm. Libromats. And I would encourage listeners to go out there and find other social entrepreneurs doing good work in South Africa. What's really exciting for me are the fresh ideas that are coming through to change people's lives. Be sure to download our next episode in the series, Social Enterprise 101, brought to you by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship and Prime Media Broadcasting. We'll be talking income-generating opportunities. From me, Smongile Mafu, and Bame Motungwa, thanks for listening. And remember to tweet us at Bertha Center.